friends, welcome back to another very special episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast. The show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined, as always, by my friend, co-host, and portly murderer in a dress, fuck, Alex Dandino. <laughs> you had to know, you had to know. It was going right. to be that or something worse, so I'll take that. All right. While Alex licks his wounds, score one for me, top of the show. While Alex licks his wounds, a little not sure business. this is the show we should be doing that with. Fair. All right. <laughs> Guys, we're officially on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. Guys, it's the best way you can help us grow the show, and it's the best way to help us give you the show you want. For as little as a dollar a month, you dip your toes in. You see if you like what we're doing over there. Get to meet some people in our fine community. Uh, and as you go up our tiers of the official, very scientific Highlander ranking system, you can actually select the movies that you want us to cover and give you episodes for, guys, in a Patreon-exclusive library. Uh, today's very show, this whole month curation, comes from one of our Highlanders, friend Heath Benfield. Um, so, guys, that's, again, the best way you can help us out. That's uh, patreon.com slash Pod. For those of you that help us, thank you. For those of you who are about to, thank you as well. Go to our YouTube, subscribe, Film Alchemist. You can see video versions of most of our pods there, along with other fun stuff we're working on. Uh, you can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com, and find us on all the socials you're on. We're there, too. We're very easy to get a hold of. We love talking to you. Thank you guys for all the support. Oh, right. Enough of that business. Uh, it's time to get very serious this month again thanks to our friend and patron heath benfield the pod gets real i'm gonna be up front alex and i are quaking in our boots we're shaking at the knees i feel like this is the biggest challenge we've had on the show so far we're over 350 some episodes into this show i believe not 50. uh with some of the october that we've already recorded uh, uh i think it's pretty damn close but we have never done a documentary. And as you start looking around, not a lot of movie podcasts talk about Believe it or not, not popular fodder for, for podcasts about But we movies. talk about this a lot, right? I think it's there are certain genres of film, right? Like, I think a lot of uh, outlets don't cover comedies, right? Because the conversation is a lot harder than some movies, right? Comedy is very subjective. Right. Is it funny? Is it not? And it's it's a harder conversation to have. I think an even more focused version of that is... I think documentaries can be very hard to discuss for some podcasts, right? Because discussing the movie instead of just the the politics or the you know yeah. subject matters within, sure. I think this is an interesting challenge that Heath has set for us. I hope that we that we reach the threshold and that these are great podcasts. I gotta say, Heath picked some of the very best documentaries I've ever seen, and I would argue that the the movie we're covering tonight the act of killing by josh oppenheimer i think errol morris and uh werner herzog yep uh we was the producers of this show i guess yes, uh i'm pretty sure this is the greatest documentary that has ever been made if i'm being up front i know that's gonna sound very uh very conclusive on what a lot of people would not agree i think just the the technique used to make this film the power of the subject matter and this kind of sad, skinny, old Ebenezer Scrooge-like character right in the middle of the film on an actual harrowing emotional journey. 
Sure. I think this movie is just, I mean, what else? This is what you want a documentary to be, right? Yeah. You're showing us the real world while everything in it is a pre-set up, a staged recreation event, this and that. Sure. But they're authoring the truth with such style. Alex, what did you make of the act of killing? Well, also to get my bona fides out there, uh, I fucking love documentaries. I actually think documentaries might be the last it's like the last passion of like great. What's my, it's where great filmmaking really lands. Like Scorsese, like we all know great narrative filmmakers, great documentary filmmakers are so like, it's the most important. It's really one of the most impressive forms of like cinema out there. And I think that like it gets overlooked cause it's quote unquote boring a lot of the time, but like that is such a, that's such a, like a bad, like not don't skip over things because they seem boring. Like, the reason documentaries are popular and interesting is because they're great movies. And I think this is like the really fascinating thing about making a documentary and the really difficult thing about it too. And this is why I actually think this is a really fascinating challenge from Heath. I don't think he meant to challenge us necessarily. He just likes us talking about documentaries, but narrative story in documentaries is so important to like make you to draw you in, but the documentary portion of it is the part that's the most compelling. And it's the part that also is yeah. it's the part that also is the most subjective, honestly, because you and I have watched documentaries before and taken two I love very documentaries, yeah. different different stances. It's the it's truly the last pure art form of like pure cinema. Like these movies are not made for a lot of money. Like these are passion projects. If you've ever seen a documentary, these are people who pour their money, their heart, their soul into these movies. Yeah, well, also something like the act of killing, there's ramifications for this yes. kind of storytelling. This movie's now banned in Indonesia, right? Like, <laughs> It's not just banned. There's, uh, I think um, I think I read there's 47 anonymous people listed in the credits because all of them feared retribution. Yeah. Well, no, there were violent paramilitary like beatdowns of people who were trying. It became like this underground movie because people were like, finally, it's getting out. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I mean. I mean, there's it, it's an interesting way to tell a story, right? Because I think one of the problems with some documentaries, right? I call it the 60 minutes problem. And you can find really funny montages. 60 minutes is a well-respected journalistic outlet or whatever. Right. But they do this thing where the, the interviewer will say a sentence and the subject just parrots it back, right? right. So it, it was cold when you stabbed your wife. It was cold when I stabbed my wife. Yes, that's true. You know what? I, and they do this thing where it feels very pre-written. That's and it's different. it's a hard balance to find sometimes because if you start injecting too much script writing, mm -hmm. you know, to make it a little neater at the seams, you lose what is best about right. documentaries sometimes. This film eschews that because it's asking Anwar Congo and his cohorts to author the film within the film. I thought that was a brilliant device. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about, that's, that's the, what television journalism is. Television journalism is all about, okay, say what I, the question I asked, say it in the sentence you're saying, like no one talks the way people, <laughs> you know, and I, I work, I work in documentary television. Like nobody talks the way people in documentary interviews talk uh, for television because producers require you to parrot the question back. So they don't have to be heard off camera asking the question the question without context is the hard part what's great about documentaries and that's what's awesome about the act of killing is that 
any and all things that seem set up are real. And I think that's the most terrifying and most thrilling part of the whole thing is like the access that Oppenheimer has is so shocking to like, just like spend the first 30 minutes of this movie, just like wrapping your head around the fact that these men are just talking about this. Like you and I would talk about recording this podcast. Mm -hmm. It's, it was just a thing. It was just part of what you did. And then the deeper you, and like, I think that's the hook. And this is the thing that's really fascinating to me about it is that the hook of the movie is that these people are so blazing, like so blase and so like matter of factly discussing the torture and systematic murder of, because this movie is about the Indonesian genocide that happened, I think in 65 or 66. So yeah, to set up some context, right? There was a military overthrow of the government. And as they came in, they started essentially a cleansing of people they called communists, right? right? As we learned throughout the movie, that that was just was a broad, not necessarily a the exact it's a general mission. broad yeah. term. This was a yeah, this was a retribution and kind of racial cleansing, right? And in one year's time, a million fucking people died, right? I think my neighbor told me that something like twenty five hundred people a day, right, are being murdered. Yeah, and so this was so much work, and this is what this it's kind of the. There is this, you know, the fog by John Carpenter, like amount of ghosts floating in the background of every scene of the movie. Yeah. Because as he begins to talk and there are rumors that he uh, and War Congo, right, our little main character, our conduit, right, that he himself killed a thousand people right in the ballpark of one thousand human lives were taken by this. Man, right. Which is fucking staggering. Right. Like John Wayne Gacy killed. 13 to 20 people and he's like one of our this guy was doing that a day mm-hmm. and so every scene of the film everywhere you go these ghosts kind of fill the background and what happened is because there were so many people they wanted retribution and cleansing for right he talks about early in the film how they felt weak and powerless when the communists had control and then it just swung violently this other way right that the government essentially gave free reign to these paramilitary services right. and gangsters Hmm? to just go out and be set up execution businesses well it's it's interesting because it reminded me there's so much of there's there's so much compare like when you when you're an american and you're watching this movie there's so much comparison you think a lot about like your experiences in this country and our experiences collectively as a country that's dealt with you know the Bush administration, the guy, the um, executioner who is driving in the middle brings this up. And it's a brilliant point, which is like history. And like the whole documentary is framed a lot like history's written, written by the winners. So like yeah. the conceit being like the winners who mass murder anyone who would be able to say otherwise. But I mean, the whole thing is so matter of factly terrifying because these guys yeah. have no... These guys, like, imagine, because, so, in the 30, in the 30s, um, basically, J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI pretty much paid off the mafia to protect the ports during World War II, assuming that the Nazis would show up at some point. So, like, I kept thinking about that. I'm like, imagine if they recruited, like, everybody they could to become part of the mafia and then just yeah. never gave back New York. I was like... Would that have happened here? And it's like, it's an insane thought. It's an insane conceit. And then like you watch this and you're like, oh my God, there's nothing insane about it. These people literally just said, 
we're in power. We are getting, we are cleansing, so to yeah. speak. Like it's terrifying. And this is the, one of the other running narratives of the thing, right? Cause I thought a lot about the parallels to where we are today. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the, the two that really struck me, right. Is one, we just saw, you know, these kind of, this mob raid our capital, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause they were mad. And I was like, so those people are all, I don't know what you would call those groups, right? These hate groups, like fucking whatever their names are. Right. Proud Boys, whatever the fuck, right? Yeah. These kind of racist Facebook communities that have now begun to like do hangouts, right? Like, meet me on Google Maps here. And it's right. like Nancy Pelosi's office, right? And so, but in this thing, when you see the paramilitary there, you're like, they have three million yeah. people. Three million just, and this is the other thing. You realize right away, you're like, there's not a lot of uh, feminine voice in this film, right? It's just a lot of big, sweaty guys yeah. talking about just these kind of gross, visceral matters, right? So- Imagine if something like this happened here and there were three million fucking dudes who were just like, yeah, we we do this. We run this shit. And that's scary. And secondly, was the influence of American films on, you know, Congo. And I I think a lot of that is a little I think that's kind of rewriting his own narrative a bit. That's the classic like Marilyn Manson made people like, you know, killers and all that kind of. But I do think what he's saying is because they kept saying this thing in the movie that was driving me insane is he's like uh, the paramilitary and uh, Anwar. They had this thing they kept coming to is where did gangster come from? Right. We're free men. And we talk about in the show is that gangster movies are essentially baby <laughs> fantasies. Right. Is I want it my way. When like they put their binky in and then they just pull out a Tommy gun with their binky. Right. right? They're they're baby men who can't fucking function in society. Sure. They want what they want. They take it. Whatever. The fact that you would watch something like a Cagney or something and be like, yeah, that's it. That's a free yeah. man, right? Like he is a William Wallace of some sort or one of these other like famous revolutionaries was really stunning to me. So something that we all uni- – it's like imagine watching The Sopranos and thinking that Tony was the good guy, right? Like even if you like him, you know he's a bad man, right? But they they help hold this up as this – we can work outside of the system and do whatever we want. And you see government forces mm-hmm. coming to them because they need that 3 million people to be on a leash, as it were. And right. it's fucking horrifying. Well, yeah. I mean, not only that, like, it's a youth military. It's youth paramilitary as well. These are young men, indoctrinated young, being told early on. Like, it's a very specific system the thing that struck me was that the guy who runs the paramilitary i can't remember his name actually um but the scene where he's golfing and he he looks like the little fat commissioner from police academy (laughs) that's all i kept thinking about but that scene where he's golfing and it's juxtaposed with his dialogue about like what's you know democracy's bad like, yeah, we have too much democracy. Too much democracy ruins everything. He's like, we were much. Well, he happy. said it's chaos. That's yeah. what he was saying, right? Yeah. He was saying <laughs> democracy is utter chaos. He's like, it's much better under a dictatorship. I'm like, well, sure. When everybody is fearful and like living, in, if like, you're on the side of if the you're on the side of the dictator, perhaps, yeah, it's fun. great. I mean, I'm sure. it's Well, just I love a that because he's kind of talking <laughs> as this like, I've been there, I've seen the atrocities, and then the very next scene is he's like. I bet your pussy looks like this to just some caddy. And you're like, oh, no, he no. Oh, he says, no. he's like, I think there's a mole on your pussy. I'm like, wow. Yeah, but that's just- so he immediately you're like, oh, so he's not some like because that's the other thing. You see these paramilitaries. It's these old dudes taking advantage of young men. Right. Yeah. And they put their little fake costumes on and give themselves fake general stars. And then, yeah, he's really the guy who just 
thanks for the money. I've now monetized your outrage. I'm going to go golf and just sexually harass this fucking caddy. That's yeah. who he is. And that's, 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 that's one of the things I love, right? That's who he is it's, innately. But that's the power yeah. of that's the power of being that person. Right. Well, because the movie at its core, what it really is trying to do, right, is by asking people to write their own mythology again, they have to somewhat confront it as truth or bullshit, right? Sure. Yeah. So this guy at his core knows that when he's little paramilitary riding around in his Jeep. Mm hmm. Because I was laughing. I was like, they look like such buffoons the way this is playing out. Right. But then they just keep showing shots of these, like, droves and droves of people. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit. Like, even three million buffoons can fuck a lot of shit up. Yeah. Well, and not only that, we've seen that all over the world. (laughs) Well, yeah, they have, like, the Good Morning, uh, you know, genocide show. Yeah. Where it's like, it's like, essentially, like, they're just praising him for his murders. and And the producer, like, how does he... It's insane, but this you're this is one of the things I love about documentaries, right? It's because it is a documentary and not a narrative film, right? So you take away a lot of the ah, oh, this isn't believable, this, that, and the other. You know these people exist. And yeah. it's really hard, I think, for a lot of us American audiences. When I watch this film, it feels exactly like I'm watching a narrative fiction film. You're like, this can't be, well, they yeah. can't be making I mean, that show. That to me is the power of, that's to yeah. me is the power of great documentary work. It's a fully that, transportative experience, yes. which most films never achieve. You feel that you are, you, you, you're seeing something that you would have never seen otherwise. And that yeah. is like, that is the power of a great documentary is to experience something you wouldn't have experienced otherwise. And to have the line between fiction and fact be so blurred just in the respect of a, as a viewer and not in the respect of like, oh, they're playing a trick on us. Like it's a Morgan Spurlock thing or anything like that. Or like Catfish. <laughs> like Catfish is the greatest mockumentary that was ever made. It's no one trying to pull anything over your eyes. Like the true nature of what makes a great documentary is because you cannot believe what you're watching and yet you know that it's true. And that yeah. I think is the that's what makes the act of killing all the more terrifying and all the more surreal in a lot of ways, because yes, these like men have to essentially regurgitate. We'll get to that later. They're like their their history. And yeah, like they like writing your history, like, and they've spent, I mean, they have that fucking Indonesia's Joseph Goebbels guy who is like, I think my lead, like probably the most despicable person in the entire it's surprising. I think he might be my the most despicable character in the entire movie. Uh, the guy who like literally printed the papers saying like, nah, these guys are doing a great job. It's wonderful. It was terrifying to watch him. Like they went into that store and literally shook the guy down. I, okay. So no, wh- the newspaper publisher. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. why would I kill? I have grunts to do that. Yeah. And he just admitted to being a propagandist and a sack of shit. Yeah, absolutely. But that scene, that's what I mean. There are so many just ghosts lingering in every shot right Right. so he did this in his newsroom and later we meet this like haunted fucking shell of a journalist Mm -hmm. and he does the same thing right we're watching three men right uh anwar uh the family guy who was the you know i didn't do anything wrong it was war blah blah blah. that guy the guy driving in the car Mm -hmm. and in the mall at the end of the film is just lying to himself i do not remember who that is and then there's the journalist right and he's like i didn't know what you guys were doing when i saw your recreations i realized how slick you were and i didn't know and he's like and i have keen journalists since they're like fuck off you knew yeah you knew like we all but see you're in right in that one frame we're watching three men 
tell themselves three different lies mm -hmm. from three different realities they've crafted while they're making like a porn set recreation <laughs> of their crimes. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's one of those, you're well, like, this is a brilliant Russian yeah. uh, nesting doll of a film. And it's, it, it never seems to stop stunning you in every moment of the well, film. Well, and I think that's where, that to me is the thing that's, that's to me where the documentary becomes a completely, like a complete piece is when they start deciding to like, basically do like the worst recrees in the history of documentary film but like they're actually the most terrifying and the most true because these are guys who were there and are literally reenacting this and you realize oh shit this is gonna be like this is gonna be the moment where they all realize what was going on the whole time like there was this elation for standing up for what was right so to speak that's their opinion like all these guys like again the the general the executioner guy in the car who literally like they ask him like what if you got taken to the international international courts and hey he goes why would i go like mm -hmm. i've done nothing wrong like i did what i had to do to defend my country like you're telling and he draws a perfect parallel to the middle east and bush and it was a very it's very apt i mean i think this came out in 2000 when was it? When was it? 2012. Yeah. Yeah. 2012. Like it's very, it's a very apt metaphor. Like absolutely 1000%. But you know, also George Bush didn't like execute a bunch of people in the country. Um, but he did his, he did his dirty business he, elsewhere. He did his dirty business yeah. elsewhere, but like he, he's not wrong. Like the concept of history's written, written by the winners. I did nothing wrong. I defended my country. Like these are now, people see, who have had to tell themselves that, right? this lie the entire time. Yeah, and even more to your point, the guy who's driving in the middle, right? Uh, Anwar's, you know, fucking cohort, whatever he yeah, is. Yeah, that's like the second in command. He doesn't yeah. say history's written by the victors. He said war crimes war are crimes, written by yeah. the victors. So because he was on the side, he chooses not to call it a war crime. Yeah. Which inherently means that in his mind, he knows. He knows it. It. I'm trying, I was trying to figure out the line in the movie, but there's a line when he said, they're at the rally, I think. And he was saying, you know, there are two realities. Either I'm just this horrible murdering guys. This is paraphrasing. Or I was on the side for right. And I killed these people for a justified reason. And he's like, that's the reality I have to choose to live in. Yeah. And so there is this constant unraveling. And it feels like they must have scouted these guys for a long time. Because there's a scene like you're saying with the shakedown guy, right? Big head, yeah. like big head mullet guy. Mm hmm. He has no remorse, right? At one point, he's just talking about how many women he would have raped. Yeah. Um, he's just there loving life. And somewhere they must have known Anwar had some crack in the, the facade. Because this movie doesn't work if we don't get there, right? It doesn't work if he doesn't have the Scrooge Christmas morning moment. This took a very long... I, I was reading about it earlier today. Because I was just like... I finished it and I'm like, I have to like just because of the nature of what we're doing for this month, like I have to read extraneous material to know what I'm like actually watching. And this one, this apparently started Oppenheimer was actually just following families of the people who had survived, uh, who had died in mm -hmm. the, um, in the genocide. And then from there, they, and from there he started interviewing them and, but all the people that he was interviewing were starting to be detained and then murdered. So he was running out of people to interview 
and then people would not say, no, I don't want to get interviewed. So then he switched to interviewing people who are actually doing the actual torturers. And that's what led him to Anwar. Like it's this fascinating, like I, man, Russian nesting doll might be the apt to like, like to get to there. And this is, this is like the thing about documentaries. And this is the thing I love about not just making them, but also like watching them is that every single time I watch a documentary so often, the documentary that I'm watching was not what it was originally. The, that was not the original intention. There's no way. Like I've, I've worked on those, but also watching, like, I mean, one of my favorite documentaries that did this was actually uh, Alex Gibney documentary called the Armstrong lie. It originally was about, uh, about Lance Armstrong's return to the sport. And then all this shit went down and it became about what a fucking liar he was and how he was able to keep this up. This is the same idea, not that exactly, because it's completely different, but like Oppenheimer is able to do this thing where he takes a, he takes the original conceit and realizes like he flips the whole thing on his head and it makes for such a more not just compelling. I mean, it would be it would be compelling either way, but then letting right. them act out this not even fantasy, but recreation, that is there's some right. next level filmmaking there that's just like and he took a lot of shit for that, right? I, a yeah, lot of, I, I guess, a lot of people in Indonesia, and I don't. I'm here to tell you, I don't know a lot about this. Right? I don't I'm either. not an expert on not the conflict. All. I know pretty much what was in the movie and a little bit of googling, but people on the other side, right? I think the like communist victim supporters mm -hmm. were saying they didn't love the idea that they just gave them carte blanche, right? Uh, to have their voices. They wanted the documentary you're talking about where the victims got to tell the story from their perspective. Right. And I think that's where inventing the movie has to exist. Because one, you have to make these guys look buffoonish yeah, in a way. Absolutely. And what's so funny is because the movie starts and he is just this scrawny little old man, right? And it, there's a thing where he's always putting in his teeth and then he has this huge electric smile. And I was like, but yeah. that's such a great, great visual, right? Is every time he puts in his fucking fake teeth to have this big fake smile, right? And it's it's just it's a brilliant storytelling. And then he's got this, you know, fucking rotund sidekick. <laughs> and they're just doing this Laurel and Hardy bit, right? And next a thing lot. you know is his sidekick's just dressed up like a lady. Like it's a, you know, talent show in high school where the jock puts on a dress. And he's like, look, I have comedy. Right. And it's <laughs> insane. It's fucking insane. And then meanwhile, while we're doing this, they think they're making a movie that makes them look cool. You start to see like the ladies in one part of town don't want to be in the movie for fear that people will then say they're communists. Right. right. Uh, then Anwar has to cast his neighbor in an interrogation scene. And then his neighbor tells what it probably is one of the scariest bits of the film <sighs> is the neighbor talks about how his stepfather, who was with him from the time he was an infant. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, at 11 or 12 was taken from their house they just heard help they found him under half of a you know oil drum like just discarded like nothing yeah. for you know what apparently seems by the end of the film these were literally just shakedowns if you could pay you lived if not oh you're a communist and you gotta go well, it was gangsters. and the neighbor talks about this fucking thing and he's he's doing this really uncomfortable laugh the whole story right like he's telling a bar story yeah and you see the gangsters getting a little uncomfortable. And then he fucking apologizes to them and is saying, I'm not questioning what you guys did. And it's and then the very next scene is them him pretending to cry, saying, take mercy on me. And what they do 
perfectly in this film, right? Is whenever they're doing those recreations, there's always a, a fly camera. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, put that shit on Anwar's face. Yeah. And search for him reacting to what you see. And in that scene of his neighbor being tortured, you get a little bit of... And this is the thing, too. By making them rewrite it, right, in their own way, mm-hmm. there's no way they can say, oh, well, Oppenheimer slandered us to make us look one way. They're yeah. the fucking authors. Absolutely and also, not. by having to cast your neighbors or other, like, friends of the paramilitary, you have to see the victim in a more humane light than the right. way they dehumanized all the other. And that one scene, I was like, that is, again, I, to your point, it's very next level, right? Because if this were just a documentary, normal, like, here are the facts. Here's Anwar. You're not going to get him to break down. He's going to give you the line, right? The, yeah. He's probably said for decades to keep himself from unraveling. Absolutely. This is forcing him to fucking break down his own walls. And I, I honestly was stunned it worked because I don't know how you can be a person that does these kind of things, right? He tells that horrifying story about how he just beheaded that guy, right? Yeah. And when he's doing his choking sound effects, his acting, he's doing that fucking sound that he pulled from his real life. And how does that guy become this guy with grandkids? And I like to dance. And the the somewhat jovial caricature we see, how can you bury a thousand bodies in your subconscious and still function? And by the end of the film, there is this tension watching it. Yeah. And you're afraid that that monster is going to come back out and someone's going to get hurt. Oh, yeah. By the, by the like, because this movie really, like, what an incredible final 30 minutes of a film. Like, oh, I mean, man. especially this, like, wow. It was around 45 minutes left and I'm like, is this going to end with, because I, I mean, like, I Josh Oppenheimer's done one other documentary since and I'm like, was that I, I haven't seen it, but I'm like, was that just collected footage? Does Josh Oppenheimer get mur- get murdered at the end of this? Because I'm gonna be like, like I mean, it's scary. It was, it was, and I didn't mean it facetiously. Like I was like, this might end with like this was footage that was sent back. Like we never found Josh. Like anything could happen. But it's interesting. I, I like like the beat about the re- like them directing themselves in the recreations. This is like this is the equivalent for me. Like of Josh Oppenheimer, there's this technique and we both learned it at ball state when you're interviewing people is you don't answer, you, you don't cut them off. The mighty Cardinals know our fucking <laughs> documentary. <laughs> it, it, is, it is where I learned it, but, and I've, I've used it anytime I've had, to, like I've had to make documentaries since then, like for college and shit like that, like stuff of my own, like, but the technique is when you ask someone a question, you, you, you don't follow it up you let them linger on the question and continue to answer it. If you don't, if you give them that second to think about it, they'll keep talking. And this is like the physical, these recreations are the physical manifestation of giving that person that second. Because, and I think that's where you start to see the break in Anwar realizing what he's like, not necessarily, he knows what he's done, but the magnitude of it, and I think the ghosts that start to creep in and actually haunt him, that's where you start to see it happening. So that right. when you get to this final 30 minutes and you know what you didn't, you didn't realize you were coming down to the entire time was this scene where he gets fake strangled, which yeah. is, he literally waves his hand in submission. It's, it's brutal. It's, in, it's not, but not only let me, that. Let me ask you something though. Sure. Cause this is a very important bit at the end, right? 
Because I think I said it earlier in the pod, and I'm sure I'll take some shit for it, that he needed to have his Ebenezer on Christmas morning moment, right? (laughs) Which, as it happens in A Christmas Carol, is buying fucking hams and, you know, feeding Tiny Tim, not fucking roping him to death. Right. So he's not getting an Ebenezer Scrooge moment, right? I I spoke wrong. He is an absolute sack of shit through and through. (laughs) He died a sack of shit. Yeah. And if there was a hell, he would rot in it, right? Let's just be very clear about that. What I think... What I was thinking a little bit about in that last scene when he was retching, right? Because they take us right back to where it started, where he looked back at the camera and smiled as he showed his his wire murder device, right? Mm -hmm. Like a proud father who had figured out how to fix the lawnmower. And that in and of itself is fucking horrifying, right? He talks about, oh, we used to just beat them to death, but it was too bloody and messy. Right. And I found this thing, and it's just... It's it's horrifying, right? It's that human ingenuity yeah. put to just making misery. At the end of the film, right, there's the scene where he wants to watch the scene of him being strangled, right? Mm-hmm. And he calls his grandkids in like a fucking psycho, <laughs> and they leave, and it's he actually starts, he's like, there's this really great moment, right, where he asks Josh, he's like, is this what they felt, right, all my victims? He's like, have I sinned? And Oppenheimer says a line, and I was like, holy shit. He goes, no, theirs was worse because they knew they were going to die. You knew you are making it. And when he paused, you're like, that's where the monster is going to come out. There's no reflection. That's what I thought. I'm it's going to happen. But Josh, I felt it. You know, I felt it. And he starts breaking down and crying. It made me wonder in that last scene, though, right, how performative his remorse was, right? Is this a guy? Because it's twofold. So let me set you up for this, right? One, he's got to know that people are about to see this, right? So he is going to be going against the party that has protected him for a long time and these paramilitary bitches. But also, it struck me, you're like, I bet those million people wish they were here to say how sorry they were for shit. Right. You know what I mean? What did you make of that? It's really funny you say that because I wrote in my notes, is this fake humility? Because like it fucking I, felt like it, but it, I I wonder to what point though. I I I kind of think that too because clearly clearly he doesn't really like the remorse he feels is more for the fact that he's now felt something like he felt a one one trillionth of the terror that someone might feel when they know they're about to die. Yeah, and I think that made that moment very real to him. Yeah. I mean, I think, he didn't actually throw up. He was. It was like retching. <laughs> like, you're like yeah. dry heaving. But, like, I mean, there's like. I think th- there's a very real thing that happens when, like, you have this, like, rush of. I wouldn't say clarity, but, like, it's more just like a rush of adrenaline knowing that, like, this is the person you are. And, like, I I've, can say pretty succinctly, I've never killed anyone. I cannot imagine the mm-hmm. thought process that it takes yeah so for that to start on for that even for a moment to unravel somewhat that part makes sense however i do feel that there's a little bit of a little bit of acting going on it's showmanship right a little bit like a lot of it but again he knows he's gonna get in trouble for admitting that he feels bad about it no he's not i mean i think he died pretty soon after this was released right did he if I remember right, yeah, he died at 75. I can't remember what year it was, but I don't think he made it long. But that's the thing. By crying, by feeling remorse for communists, by openly admitting on this film, 
that they were fucking hustlers, right? And even uh, the fucking portly sidekick, when he's running for office, all he talks about is how he can make $100,000 by being corrupt as shit. Yeah. So by laying all of these things out, he will have to, on some level, suffer. And it is funny to me because I want to know if there was a script somewhere. I was looking for a script for what they had written, right? Like what their oh, movie was supposed movie. to be. So I was like, he's rolling a lot of behind the scenes and someone had to have been someone had to have put it together that he was going to fucking do a hatchet on them. Not that it's like hatchet and that he misconstrued facts, but he was going to hack down this false narrative. Sure. And show them as sacks of shit. Right. Because they talk about this a lot. We can't forget history. And they say it unironically because all they're doing is lying about their own history. Well, and I think this is like. This is the power that this is the power that fear has is that even though they knew that it was going to make him that they were going to look a little bit bad, they were going to look bad to us as Americans. Anyone who would watch this. They are the people in power in Indonesia. It's interesting. Actually, I read um, that somebody. So you're saying because they've never been punished for anything, why well, would they be afraid? Well, this was uh, the. Um, but at a screening, somebody critiqued Josh Oppenheimer and said, this is akin to like letting SS officers reenact the Holocaust. And he goes, it's actually not at all because that's because the Nazis aren't in power anymore. If you force someone to, who's in, if you have someone in power, like reenacting something they did, there are no consequences. They're just explaining what they did for their job. Like this isn't, well, the, I think it isn't that Nuremberg. becomes the, yeah. And in a way I, I mean, they're not wrong with that critique, right? The thing is, I would say, is that no. the documentary in no way is There's, approving of what they did. Wrong, it's not a propaganda They're not wrong piece. in the critique of, like, it being it, – because it's not – no, it's not approval in the slightest. No. But like He the, is giving the, the speaking role to the, the violent monsters, right? right? But I think that the point of doing that, and I think this is, like, the real important thing about – the documentary is that by giving them a platform and a voice what you're not doing is celebrating them what you're doing is letting them it's like giving someone enough rope to hang themselves yeah well i thought about it it's like when me and my wife try to convince each other that we're still super cool and you're like you know what really cool people don't do debate Have if they're that cool. conversation yeah. they're just out existing and being cool to everyone exactly. right yes so it's like there there is this but that's what I mean, right? I'd love to see what the script was that Anwar thought he was making because there's a weird shift in the end of it where he starts becoming the communist and the victim. And I that felt like one of those things where if I were a film producer, I'd say maybe you should cast yourself as a communist and see what that riles up cuz why would well, why would I, he cast himself that? I, mean, I want to yeah, know how that decision was made. I mean, I think that's I don't see the problem in that being that's what that's not doing is the because any film is subjective. It doesn't matter whether it's a documentary like you can put facts in a documentary. It's still subjective because of the person they're coming out. Their person's the person's brain they're coming out of has well, an opinion. Yeah. It's and not, sadly, now we live in a reality where everything is up for debate apparently no right. one accepts anything as truth anymore right so i mean like you can make the argument that 
because to me that's just to me that's just good directing like of course oh it is it is i absolutely agree. yeah like what it is is great manipulation of your subject like you were able to convince because i agree i thought that too and what i'm assuming is josh took a very long time Mm -hmm. i can't believe i just called him josh that's stupid oppenheimer took a very long time not on first name basis like your fucking brunch buddies (laughs) took a really long time another mimosa josh no (laughs) just me all right (laughs) probably took a very long time to get there and then suggested that flippantly probably thinking he will like not think twice about it or he'll be well i think he sold it as uh anwar goes to hell sure because that dude there's a scene at the end right when they do the waterfall shot yeah um and the guy takes the fucking garrote wire off his neck and gives Anwar a medal and says, thank you for sending me to heaven. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. You're like, only that crazy bitch could have wrote that about himself. But it shows you these psychoses, right? Yeah. Uh, a couple of the scenes, though, you just see, like, when they're rehearsing, like, we're going to break in and steal all your kids' communist shit. <sighs> kids are weeping in the room because they don't know that this is yeah. an audition. And you see the kids reacting to that. And I think this is where you start seeing Anwar. He does mention, right, that when he watches uh, the footage, he's like, I felt freer back then. And I think what it is, it's it's a young man's freedom, right? Not that he was yeah. freer, but when you're young, you don't – you're so in the moment. You're such a creature of right now, right? These carnal appetites of the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And what you're doing now has to be – you're so full of rage and you know the most and old people are keeping you down, whatever – it's just easier to be a creature in motion, right? right? Like a shark. You're just going from thing to thing. And I think when you're old, he has grandkids now. Yeah. Right? Having kids, having grandkids, that changes a person, right? Yeah. And so seeing those kids cry, when they do the uh, Lord of the Flies rally, right? Even the deputy, like, sports minister, I don't know, is that like the <laughs> fucking government PE teacher, whatever that job is, he gives his speech, right? Like, give him energy, give him anger. And he's watching this Lord of the Flies thing as, you know, fucking big mullet head takes over and, uh, you know, fat sidekicks like screaming on the thing. And he's frozen. He's like, oh, fuck. And he gets down. He's like, uh, Josh crew, this does not reflect how our organization is. It's a bad look for us. We do want to exterminate an entire group of people for no reason. <laughs> yeah. But we're also friendly. Like he knows immediately that what he's seeing is, oh, fuck, we cannot let anyone see this. Yeah. And he's like, you can show that we're like hardcore, but don't show well, that we're like these fucking monsters. And it's, yeah. it's and then the there's facade the, the of burning of the village, right? And the going after all these people. And you see Anwar hovering over a woman who's collapsed or been hurt. These fucking crying kids. And they're all like, why are you crying? It's fun. It's a movie. And those moments of just watching Anwar exist in these recreations of his past crimes. But with these, you know, decades of of probably haunted reflections. I mean, you rarely find things in documentary that are just that fucking pointed of imagery. Yeah. I mean, it's again, this is, it's just letting life happen. I mean, I think that's, this is the thing that's so powerful about documentaries is like when you are able to capture the way things real, when you capture things that are real, like, the camera that's always on Anwar Congo is that is masterful filmmaking. And it's that's where all the best stuff happens. It's the whole movie are those shots. Yeah. And that is, that is where that's because you know, that's where the story is going to unfold. It's not Mm -hmm. about letting these guys make ridiculous recrees of their 
exploits or interviewing because again in another filmmaker's hands this is a very serious three-hour documentary about the psychology the the economy of indonesia and how we're like so on and so forth i mean how many shows do we have about what the nazis did right there is probably ten thousand hours of documentaries full of facts more and and that more but seeing the man who actually was the executioner and again, I, I I get the argument that it's not wildly satisfying to just see him retching at the end in a nice ass suit. And he's had this whole life of but there is a stark reminder. I think what this film really is, is it it kind of shows how benign evil is. And I yeah. think that's the scariest form that I think is is we're the- watching it. And again, it's just this Laurel and Hardy, right? This tall, skinny old man and this fat, like excitable, like almost Jack Black like sidekick. Right. Where he's just high energy, and when he's like, uh, he's like this super assistant director, and yeah. he's running around like you know giving people energy, and kids are laughing at him in one scene, and then the very next scene, it's like, oh yeah, we just break legs and cut throats, and you know, you'll never get over the fact you're like these guys killed a thousand. Yeah. Well, like what? And they just don't seem like it, and the fact that they're still existing in the society just reminds you I mean, that it's I just think always that there. The best way to put it is that it's the benign, it's the, it's benign evil. It's the evil that is passively existing in our world. And that I think yeah. is the thing that's, that would be the reason, like, that would be a reason I'd wretch is because just we live like this world is filled with people like this. And yet this person, these people remain in power. They see no consequence. They see no problem with their actions. So yeah. the passive existence of evil in this world to the point where they're allowed to murder hundreds of thousands of people simply because they decide that they're the wrong kind of people. It's, it's overwhelming. And then I think that's why the act of killing is so powerful, but also worth watching. I think that's a really important thing about documentaries. And we're going to talk about this a lot this month, but like documentaries that are worth watching, like for me, Information is worth watching. There's no reason you shouldn't just catalog information. But the movies like The Act of Killing, movies like The Act of Killing are the reason information is so easy to hold on to. Because these are the kinds of images and these are the kinds of stories that stay with you. And you think about for days on end. And that is, that's the value of documentary filmmaking for me personally. Yeah, well to me it was the the scene when Anwar is being interrogated and you see him start to crumble. And then when he's like, I can't film that again, as he was choked and he waves his hand Yep. and he Won't sits there water. and you watch. Yeah. You watch the fucking Tweedledee and Tweedledum <laughs> like reacting to it. Yeah. And I was just, I'm like, that's what, when you go into documentary films, you don't know if you're going to get the money shot. Mm-hmm. And right there, I was like, God damn, imagine what's happening when they're like, Oh my God, we broke him. Like we yeah. got him and they just held on him. It's just mm-hmm. still, but in that moment, watching this man's emotional collapse there is more story than most movies and tv series ever get we learn an entire universe worth about this man in this country and this struggle and it's i thought that was just brilliant right and again i don't i don't know that anwar his sadness at the end merits anything i think it's a pretty piss poor version of an apology for him to say like i think i was wrong 
But again, I mean, like, there 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 is a powerful imagery of seeing an executioner come to grips with and kind of break down and admit that he it's in a way it's almost cathartic for us to watch him be haunted and watch him be tortured. Yeah, I by mean, the to be honest with you, like the gut punch, the gut punch happens after the cameras turn off because like, yeah, like that person just has to live with that. Like that one single moment is the, like it's the, it's the pebble and it's the pebble that broke the glass. Like yeah. it's a single moment. Then you don't realize what you're doing. And then it happens and slowly, but surely you start breaking down these moments. And while yes, there is some performative action involved for like retching a lot. Like a lot, like, like fucking 60 wretches, a little absurd, but yeah. like, I'm not saying there's not some form of honesty in that. Like, I think if you come to the place where you killed a thousand people sure, and realize that that's what you were doing to them and like the thought yeah. of it happening to you, even though it was fake, was so terrifying and so traumatizing, you can't even wrap your mind around it. It's yeah, and it's I incredible. think what the movie shows us, right, is that he's lived with it for a long time, seemingly fine. He just goes and salsa dances and whatever. But I think there's a scene where he talks about karma, and it's this law of nature, right? And I think what you are getting is this, this irredeemable man who's at the end of his life, and now he's afraid his punishment is finally coming. Right. Right? Like, he can't truly be punished in this life in any meaningful way that oh. would make anything better. But knowing that he is afraid of something beyond, and again, I don't buy any of that. Right. Right. Karma is the one religious idea that I kind of like. I like the idea of like him coming back as like a tapeworm or something. And like, well, that's what not you get. a tapeworm. You, you live in butts now. That's what you get. Cause you suck. But yeah, they get to eat and stuff. So that's, I don't know, whatever the worst animal is, Sure, but I that the idea that he's more afraid. I think that's where his performative shit comes from. Yeah. He knows he's not going to be around another 30 years. Right. And I'm sure that in that country you can see that kind of rage with the paramilitary guys. I would imagine if I knew more about that society, they would be feeling the change in the world around them. Um and I know that's what a lot of this documentary led to is people were talking about how this is uh, I read one article about Anwar's death and it said that these have like rock concert atmospheres because people feel like the wall of quiet is crumbling right right and so if that's how you have to help move this into a better place is letting this guy just go on this just really introspective journey through his crimes mm -hmm. I don't know I mean it's hard for us as outsiders to say what the value of this is right I feel like this examination on evil and how it exists and how it just crops up and like industry forms around it. I, I've, no. I found all of it fascinating Yeah, and I mean, hor like fucking truly more than anything horrifying. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's no way to watch this movie without feeling some form of terror. Like yeah, this is true in all of it. <laughs> yeah. This is real. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about horror movies on this pod. This is, the truest, most terrifying yep. thing I've ever. What watched. do we always say? There's no scarier monster than another person. Exactly. I never I think get scarier than that. Yeah, I think especially one who can put his fake teeth in and just fucking smile. It's, Horrifying. Yeah, it's it's an experience. 
You know the line of the movie that fucking actually shouldn't sivers down my spine to wrap this up? Uh, he's talking about how he was proud of himself for being a gangster and going and killing these people. He's like, I didn't have any education, this and that. And he goes, there are people like me around the whole world, right? Like he's like, I'm going to be an inspiration. And all wrong. I thought was, I was like, there are people like you everywhere in the world. And you know it, what's interesting? It, I like, they kept coming back to this analogy of like gangsters and like, yeah, free. The, They're free. The free men. Like, this is like a really important thing. And I think this is because that's not what, like, that's not what Cosa Nostra was. Cosa Nostra was a reaction to the the Industrial Revolution. It's capitalist, capitalists who would basically take any immigrant they could and indoctrinate them and keep them low so that they could continue doing the things that they needed to do. The Cosa Nostra simply came over from Sicily and parts of Italy and said, I'm not going in. Actually, this is summarized perfectly in an episode of the Sopranos. Just a bunch of Italians came over and said, I'm not going to let Oppenheimer's not Oppenheimer. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to let uh, JP Morgan's and all these people who are want to put their fucking boot on my neck. I'm not going to let them take what I want because I was I was promised something in this country. The interesting thing is to pervert the concept of free men or free people in such a way that makes it seem like to justify to yourself. That is the thing that's truly scared me more than anything is to justify this whole thing by saying gangsters are free men is the most horrifying. It it honestly scared the shit out of me. They're free of the social contract. Social contracts. That's it. Yeah. It's terrifying. Free of empathy. But yeah, that's not, that's not what gangsters are. Yeah, that's not, but that's what I mean there. It's the same as the paramilitary. It's latching onto this fucking pageantry and these things that give you some kind of justifications to be a huge piece of shit, right? Right. That's why every time you watch a gangster movie, imagine it's your three-year-old son when you say nap time. Mm -hmm. And they say, no! That's every fucking gangster movie summarized in microcosm. Uh, That's what the movie is, right? And I think... But more than anything, right? And this documentary really utilizes the, you know, narrative technique of them creating their own film. And I'm not a huge recreations guy in documentary. I understand why some need them, but I think they almost always just drag me out I, I, and I'm I uninterested. Hate, I hate them. But this one's a little more interesting of a device. But with all the extra layers, right? So everyone in this film is a liar and creating their own lies and propaganda. Right. Then their film is a second layer of lie. Mm -hmm. I feel like the film is constantly truthful, considering how much bullshit they have to wade through. And you get a real human truth in almost every minute of this film. And I think that is the ultimate achievement of any documentary. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's all that's all you can ask for. Again, from a stance of somebody who thinks most stories are subjective, almost any story is subjective. A genre that's supposed to be about truth is it's complicated. You know, subjects lie all the time. So do documentary filmmakers. But but this I, one's really good about when they lie, it feels like you're learning the truth. Yeah. I mean, I think that the difference is the act of killing is about the access you have to the truth. That's it, guys, for the act of killing. This is just the beginning of the Pod Gets Real month. Uh, that was actually a really fun one to talk about. Uh, hopefully, fun? the rest. 
I think it was an interesting conversation. Fun is perhaps the exact Better word. wrong word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. Mea culpa, right? For those of you who look up Not that one. We're not there. watching that one. Yeah. So, uh, but it's fascinating, man. It's a different vibe from what we normally watch. So thank you, Heath, for the well suggestion. Done. Three more documentaries to come, people. So stay tuned every week. A uh, lot of fun guests, guys. Again, go to patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod to support the show and get the movies you want to hear us talked about covered. Uh, you can also vote on bonus episodes. A lot of fun stuff going on over in our community. Film Alchemist Pod is the YouTube channel. Uh, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com is the email. The socials, we're there. Find us. Uh, as always, guys, thank you for everything. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffin. I'm Alex Dandino. 